I look at the physical world and the digital world. The combined word of the fidgetal world is the new term now, and that's the combination of the physical and the digital and, and where they overlay. And we're actually going to be living in this digital world in the future where things like NFTs and the metaverse and having a metaverse strategy is going to be so important for every person who, who wants to participate in that wave of technology that could be the next biggest thing. Lisa, what I'm hoping for today's podcast is to pick up a conversation that you and I had, I think, in multiple points in our interaction in Cancun. The first time I saw you was you just kind of breezing through in a summer dress, sauntering off an airplane. I, I imagine in my mind just straight into the, uh, I guess, the little kind of uh, get together prior to the workshop. And I was blown away that you just literally kind of got off an airplane and you're ready to socialize and network and do all the things that you do only to later realize and learn that you're an introvert. Like what? <laughs> How's that possible? And then when you started talking about all the exciting, crazy things that you're doing, my mind started to melt. Now I like to think I'm kind of up to speed with stuff, but I, I want to describe to our listeners that you're kind of from the future, quite literally. I feel like you're a time traveler, maybe three to five years ahead of everyone else. And today, my intention is to just have a conversation with you to find out, like, what's it like in the future? So I have so many questions for you. Now, before I go any further, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. I love to introduce myself now as an energized introvert. And I think you picked mm. up on that when you first met me and that, uh, I am so excited about the opportunity that we actually have being alive today. I think we've never lived in such an amazing time and such an abundant time with more access to food, water, resources to be able to do anything that we want. And so uh, I'm a little bit of Iron Man in training, love superheroes and superpowers that it gives us. And I think my background being, I was actually, I don't usually lead with this, but chartered accountant by trade who ended up specialising in tax law and then um, jumping ship over to work for an engineering firm and and own an engineering firm that I, I grew over four years with a merger and four acquisitions and sold when I was 29. So I actually went through this technical systems processes and large-scale process control and automation business to then have a successful exit and have the space to think, what am I going to do next? which is when I did do that research into the future and found out about all these emerging technologies that are going to change all of our lives in the next 10 years. And so the CFO in me said, well, actually, people need to know about this stuff. And a good CFO would do an analysis of where are you now and where do you want to be? And the gap analysis is essentially the execution plan. And so in the last 10 years, I like to say I've been a lifelong learner of just learning about everything that's out there and wanting to share that with the world. So I do have the license for Singularity University in Australia. I run the Extreme Tech Challenge in Australia. We uh, work with businesses and, and help them grow essentially and work on the concept of community capital and how do we actually help all ships rise. 
Mm, wonderful. Okay, before we get into like what I really want to talk to you about today, how did you come into contact with Singularity University? What drew you there? What kept you there? Because I know it's part of your LinkedIn profile that you attended Singularity University. I didn't even know that was a thing. So tell me more about that, please. Yeah, great. It was actually when I sold the business. Mm-hmm. I, I love the concept of proximity and I know you talk about proximity a lot. And I've always had this concept of how do you actually be part of the, the top 1% of the global population? And it was actually originally the top 5% of the global conversation. And I come from a smallish city. Uh, we'll call it a big country town in Australia and there's 250,000 people. And I, I went to a Tony Robbins event actually and signed up for his Platinum Partnership and he talks about proximity as well and your peer group and I thought, okay, I've got this time and space in my life, it's time to level up. And he'd send you four invites a year and one of them was actually turn up at this airport in Silicon Valley in San Francisco on this day and we're going to take you on an adventure. And the adventure actually was Singularity University. So it's very serendipitous sometimes how things are delivered into your life of what you need at the right time. And it was in... uh, at the NASA campus in Mountain View when we go onto this campus and I walked into the classroom having no idea what I was getting myself into and there was a sign that said, how will you have a positive impact on a billion people in the next 10 years? And I had to take a breath and I took a step back and I thought, wow, I actually thought I was really smart but that takes a whole other mindset. And I haven't been thinking about that way. How could I possibly impact a billion people? And actually, I love, Chris, your um, your mission around teaching a billion people to do what they love. And it, it's just a new mindset. And I think that experience for me, and then you go through a program there and they teach you about all these different technologies and how you can utilize technology to scale and actually work on really big problems, which was super inspiring. So I did from that get the license and become expert faculty to be able to share the the message and the mission with everybody. Wonderful. Okay. So the fact that you became a platinum member of Tony Robbins thing says a lot about you, that you have the time, the money, the resource, the mental space, and the curiosity to learn. Is this after you've exited your company? that you're going yes. to be part of this platinum. Okay. So just for the, the, my timeline, my mental timeline, is that when you were 29 or right after, or when did this happen? Yes. I sold the, the business when I was 29. I joined the business when I was 25 and wow. earning a modest chartered accountant's salary. Uh-huh. And I like to say I was a really good accountant that I did negotiate shares in that business, but mm. then helping it grow and being able to successfully exit to think um, that was mindset. And so I I didn't come from a lot. I had to make my own way and started Mm. working actually at McDonald's when I was 15. So it was really that curiosity to learn and to be able to do more and help more people. I think that's probably the key thing. I've always thought, how do I help more people, which has kind of led me down this path. Mm, I love that. And, and I'm just curious how you, because as a person who grew up with not a lot myself as a a first generation immigrant to the United States, I remember very clearly the time when there was not a lot. And so I'm always balanced between these two things. Whereas my my wife has grown up in an upper class family because her dad was a commercial pilot. She doesn't quite know what it's like to be poor and to be on the outside looking in. And so I'm just curious how you are able to manage the, the old money mindset versus like where you're at now. I I think I have grown up privileged, even though 
I didn't grow up with money in that mm-hmm. um, I actually, my mum uh, was a single mum and I have an older brother and a younger sister and we actually uh, grew up very, very loving family. And I think I didn't realise that we didn't have much until there was something in, in my mind. I noticed that um, when I was about 12 that some of the kids in the neighbourhood had tiles in their house instead of the um, the carpet that we had. And, you know, some had nicer houses than us. And then I think I was about 13 or 14 and I realised that some of my friends had dads as well as mums. Oh. And so I, I think I grew up in a little bit of a bubble in that, you know, my mum mm. didn't work and um, a lot of the time she did actually work and we stayed with our grandparents a lot and was just um, very, very, very loved. But I think adding to that story, I actually had a kidney transplant when I was 17 Mm. and it was a long story in that I spent three years in hospital from a burst appendix at school camp and, you know, got ill and uh, had a lot of love in my life. And I think I played this mental catch-up game where I thought I'm behind. I was actually really smart in school. I was the top of all of my classes and then spent three years where I wasn't able to get ahead. And so when I got out of that situation, I worked full time, I studied uni full time and was just trying to play this catch up game. So I think that was the desire and the will to want more in my world. Mm. Okay. So despite not having everything, uh, even just having uh, being raised by a single mom in finite resources, it was padded with lots of love and a support network that you never felt like there was a lack in your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So um, now now that you're introduced to the Singularity University and this kind of question of like, what are you going to do to impact the lives of a billion people? How did you process that? Uh, that was a big wake up call, maybe a big challenge for you. Take me through the steps a little bit between that moment and when you start to put that into action. Wow. Okay. So the five days, I guess I learned about nanotechnology, bionics, mm-hmm. robotics, AI, network sensors, AR, VR, synthetic biology. And it's a lot to take in in a week. And, you know, sort of thinking about exponential technologies. And I've actually I've been on this journey since in, in following programs of actually looking 250,000 years into the past as well as 250,000 years into the future. And so when you say uh, I'm a time traveler, I actually very much believe that. And, you know, past, present and, and future, what do we have access to? Where are we at? What's the contrast? And so I actually spent a couple of months just learning. And the next trip with Tony Robbins, actually, I was in India and I was sitting in a hotel room with a a lady from Canada who had a business who wasn't going so well. The business wasn't going so well because she was traveling so much. And so I I actually originally started the business and said, I'll just create you some dashboards and some KPIs and business intelligence so that whilst you're traveling, you know what's happening in your business and, you know, when you need to jump in and not jump in as opposed to having it on your mind all the time. And so that's actually how the business was originally born. It's our 10-year anniversary this year in August. And so it just came from helping people. And so there was a business, they needed help. I had the technical skills. So I was sitting in a hotel room in in India and uh, on, on my laptop creating some business intelligence dashboards. And this was back in 2000. And, 12. And so you can imagine that creating a business intelligence dashboard wasn't quite as easy as now where you download a software and you pay a subscription of $50 a month and you can get information. It it was quite early. 
and, and then I guess from that information, I'm, I'm a big fan of data. And so big data equals big insights. And from big insights, you mm-hmm. need to take big action. And so I look at business models now and having that lens of, of seeing businesses just with um, how do you make money while you sleep? And I can model out a business and I can look from understanding a business from their pricing strategy and from what they're actually selling to be able to say, well, this is actually um, how big your business is going to be or this is the kind of plan and the model and where you might get to in your business. And I love Tony Robbins actually says that all businesses are limited by the psychology or the skill of the owner. And so it's great you can meet someone, you can understand their psychology, but what's their skill and are they able to upskill? And I was thinking about the compound effect of knowledge. And so, for example, the engineering firm I had was 84 staff. And so I was absolutely certain that the compound impact of that knowledge was I could start another business and be 84 staff, whereas the first time it took me four years, it would probably only take me a year to create another business with 84 staff because I knew how to do that. And so with all these different technologies and business models, you can almost see the road ahead and know the road ahead and advise people to be able to uh, help them and guide them to be able to utilize technology. Wow. Okay. Um, Would it be safe to call you a futurist? Is that okay? Is that a term that- Yes, I love it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Because you're all about technology and I, I read somewhere, I think on your LinkedIn page where you believe that we're in this space and time where every problem that exists can be solved with technology. And that's a very optimistic point of view of the future. And I love that because uh, where, where I'm standing and in, in the visibility I have into the future, things look kind of bleak uh, where there's there's a war going on in Ukraine. And people are talking about this global warming problem that's going to affect coastlines and countries and, and areas that are at sea level. Um, we, we are talking about potential uh, machine learning AI developing into a place in space where maybe humans will be subservient to the AI. I don't know. There seems to be a lot of problems uh, and not even to mention some of the things that are much smaller, but some those are some of the big ones. How do you as a futurist uh, see the future and, 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 and hopefully set us on a more optimistic um, path? And what do you see? I guess you get what you focus on as well. And so I, I like to say rather than an optimist, I'm actually a realist. And so I understand that mm. there are definitely these big problems. And I think that's uh, where the opportunity comes from. And so I'm a big fan and believer that the world's biggest problems are also the world's biggest business opportunities. And so I I don't think we've ever had more access to information than we have in the past. And so utilising information is power. Uh, I'll geek out with you for a little bit about superheroes if I can. And I actually think exponential technology is like a superpower. And so uh, how do you actually, um, you know, go to the Avengers headquarters, like for all the Marvel fans and be able to get the tools that you need to solve a big problem if that's what's on your mind. And like any good sci-fi movies, uh, when aliens invade or anything really bad happens, we all work together and live happily ever after. And so it's not quite that simple when when you mention that, you know, we might be living in the matrix soon and the AI is actually uh, taking over and looking after us. Mm-hmm. So, and we're reporting to AI. But I think about that and I think about even... Um, some of those different technologies and it's been International Women's uh, Day just recently and I was actually thinking about Wonder Woman and 
I think you know, she's a wonderful Amazonian uh, character and she has the truth lasso. And to think about that truth lasso and I go, well, actually, if you, you think about the technology that would exist in being able to do that and the technologies that are actually converging now to be able to have some sort of uh, lie detector, then, um, you know, we do actually have visual recognition software now that can understand micro expressions to be able to tell if someone's telling the truth and we've got all of these other data and sensors and whatnot. And so uh, if, if we actually were able to work together in a bigger sense, and I have this vision, if you think about the world, like an emergency room in a hospital and what hospitals are able to do, not so amazingly just now, but what they do is actually when they have a problem or someone presents to an emergency room, they're able to triage the problem, they're able to prioritise it and then help everyone um, collaborate that um, human productivity to be able to solve the most immediate problems first. And so um, there's some challenges in the world now. I know the um, Ukraine situation uh, is huge and we've seen networks globalise and be able to work together to be able to support people over in Ukraine and we've never had so much opportunity to make a difference. I actually bought an NFT of um, from OnChain Monkey and it's the 10,000 Monkey Collection uh, organised and categorised into a picture of the world with a heart over Ukraine and we're able to mint these NFTs and raise funds for the Ukraine and I know there's been a lot of initiatives for that. But I guess the realist in me says with exponential technology there's also exponential villains. So when in the past a bank robber might have been able to walk into a bank and steal a bag of money, now then it's quite different to that because they could actually wipe everyone's bank accounts in one go overnight. So how do we actually be the generations that create the systems and the frameworks and the cybersecurity and all of these different technologies that are going to protect humanity going forward? And now is kind of the time for that. Mm. So is there a... um a battle for the future between the technologists, uh, the, uh, the forces of good and evil, and, and hopefully the forces of good prevail? I think that's always the case, isn't it? There's always there's always going to be some form of scarcity. I've got a model and, and a uh, philosophy mm. around this, around uh, why people actually do what they do. And it's the same as good people. Why do they do what they do when they know what they know? So you know actually how to get fit and to, to be a... Uh, in really good shape, all of the tools and strategies are out there, but it's our psychology that might hold us back. And so what is the psychology of the population? And we've currently got 7.89 billion people on the planet at the moment. So how do you actually look at those 7.89 billion people and understand are they in scarcity or abundance mindset? And Maslow's hierarchy explained with food, shelter, water and whatnot to be able to have everyone's base needs met to then help them self-actualise and want to give back. And actually one of my greatest fears at the moment is that people are looking externally for fulfilment instead of internally. And so if you can actually individually have all areas of your life in abundance and then your business in abundance, then you're most likely to actually have an impact on the world as opposed to if you have scarcity in, in any areas of your life, then there's going to be challenges. Uh, and, and like um, Tony Robbins actually has a formula and he says people only need two things in life. Number one is the science of achievement and number two is the art of fulfilment. And where do we get our fulfilment from? And if I stack onto that, then I think uh, we've actually on the planet right now, we've got 50 billion devices and 1 trillion sensors. 
And in the next 10 years, we're going to have 500 billion devices and 100 trillion sensors. And I'm almost calling it this future of perfect knowledge where you can know anything, anywhere, anytime. So for example, even this call that we're having now, you might be able to know in the next few years, my micro expressions of how engaged I am in this conversation, how uh, optimistic I actually am, or am I pessimistic and I'm just saying something different. And so I think there's a huge mega trend on transparency and that, you know, in the, the tools that we'll actually have in those next five to 10 years will allow us to be able to understand scarcity and know when someone's in scarcity and be able to help them with what they need when they need it. So we don't end up with exponential villains who have this power play or need fulfillment externally that end up going and doing really bad things. Mm. So you're uh, just, just so my audience can understand it because your mind moves a little bit faster and I'm just <laughs> not just a little bit faster than maybe where everyone else is at. Uh, I think the thing you're talking about is some kind of biometric sensor that can read your expressions and, and then it'll give me some data to understand like, oh, Lisa's uncomfortable right now. Lisa's paying attention where if there's a disconnect between what is being said and what the biometric data reveals, then at least I'm aware of that. That's, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think we've made huge advancements in visual recognition software as well. And so I, I'm excited about augmented reality and whether it be Apple or Google Glasses or whichever launches first, I think that we'll actually have this um, physical and digital view of the world. And so, um, you know, those glasses will be able to share a lot more information. So at the moment I have an OrCam My Me and it's a little camera that I wear and it actually connects to all of my social networks and my LinkedIn and it pings me someone's name two metres before they actually are in my immediate proximity to be able to remind me that I know this person, they're in my network, here's their name, here's any reminders I've set for myself on them and here's something that I wanted to discuss or, or whatever it may be. So I think those devices, and there's a huge conversation in that around ethics and privacy and this is the world that we live in at the moment because it's moving so right. fast. We do need to uh, look at all of these different things. But I think the ability that we'll have as humans is going to be a lot more in the not too distant future. So talking about visual recognition and being able to know if, if you're actually happy or sad, I might know that as I'm walking down the street and approaching you. And I, I like the term, and we're actually talking a lot about NFTs and the metaverse and whatnot. And I think in just that conversation, I look at the physical world and the digital world and the combined word of the digital world is the new term now and that's the combination of the physical and the digital and, and where they overlay and we're actually going to be living in this digital world in the future where, um, you know, that's where things like NFTs and the metaverse and having a metaverse strategy is going to be so important for every person who, who wants to participate in that wave of technology that could be the next biggest thing. Okay, I think that's a perfect segue to us talking about NFTs. Now, in the artistic world, the, the people that I know, uh, they're pretty divided in terms of what NFT represents for them. For some, it's a massive opportunity for them to build wealth and interest in the art, to tap into new technologies, to find an audience for things that previously might not have been viewed as with much value. And then there's some that are saying this is a giant uh, pyramid Ponzi scheme and it's horrible for the environment. I know you know more than most. Uh, so set the record straight for us. What is your take on NFTs? 
Yeah, I guess I'll take a step back and, um, and just quickly with technology. I think that the world moves in different waves of technology and um, being able to understand those waves is really important for business success. So I've got a little bit of a business strategy angle on this. And uh, one of my advisors, Bill Tai, who is very prominent in the NFT space and in Web3 and, uh, and the metaverse technologies, he actually said that all businesses like surfing and being in Australia, I love a good surfing analogy. And he says that when you're actually paddling out, it's almost you're getting your education and whatnot. But then what happens is you'll, uh, you'll sit out the back of the wave and you'll bob up and down and you'll wait for a little while for the right wave to come on. And I think in businesses, this might be with an R&D trend. It might be with actually starting a new business where people might be in a normal nine to five job and they, they want to start their own business. So they're bobbing up and down out the back. And then the art is choosing the right wave. And when you actually decide which wave you're going to catch, you need to paddle fast. You need the skill to ride the wave. And then you actually need to know when to get off as well. And so I look at some of these waves of technologies and the trends, even just over the last 20 years. And I know we were having this conversation around content. And I think about business strategy back in the early 2000s and you know, it was Web, web 2.0, where everyone needed a website. And everyone thought that websites were going to be this huge big business thing where they create a website and all this traffic would come and their business would flourish. But that wasn't quite the case because they learned that they needed to add value and the website had to have value. And so businesses went through this get a website phase. And then in the later noughties, uh, 2000s, we had the SEO, paid advertising, PPC, everyone needed SEO. And then when we came into the early tweens of the, the um, 2010 to 2015, we're sort of looking at different social media strategies and everyone needed to have social media. And um, as the businesses have sort of gone through this phase with digital technologies, uh, some people will jump on the bandwagon really fast and they'll create great businesses out of it and they'll go for a full digital strategy and some have waited and they've been left a little bit behind. And so I look at now with NFTs and a metaverse strategy and combining that with the digital kind of the convergence of the digital physical space and I actually see NFTs not just as artwork and I see the metaverse more as an opportunity for businesses to create a strategy around. And so being able to be an early learner in this uh, opportunity. I think that's where some of these big business opportunities are at the moment. And people are build, um, building and, and buying land in the metaverse. And I think about the economic opportunity that it provides to all of these people in developing nations, but anyone with a computer and internet, anything that you can do in the physical world, you can actually do in the digital world. So whether you want to be a fashion designer or you want to be an architect or you want to actually design anything, there's all these different opportunities now in the metaverse. And so uh, a, a couple of investments that I've made, uh, um, you know, one of them super world where they're actually tying a, an overlay of the uh, the physical world to the digital world and you can buy that digital space in, in super world and, uh, and then some of the others where they're actually created completely different universes and it's where people are hanging out, um, organisations like, and businesses like Fortnite where they've actually just got a lot of people. You've got Axie Infinity where you've got over 2 million daily active users and six billion dollars or so of economic value traded in the last uh so many months since it started so i think where it's going is the need that businesses are going to have a metaverse strategy full stop and that includes nfts and it might just be things like membership 
And I know membership's been a, a really uh, great one. There's some different ways um, that the people are actually utilising their NFTs as a utility token. So um, I'll pause for a second, see if you've got questions, because I think we go into different types of NFTs from here and then how people can really make the most of it. But I, I guess Web3 technologies and moving into that space and where it's fully transparent and using blockchain technology provides a huge opportunity for businesses as well. Yes, wonderful. Okay. There's a lot here to process. And at the rate in which your mind is going, it's like people are probably going to need to listen to this a couple of times to pull apart everything you've said. But that's the beautiful of a recorded piece of content is we don't have to feel super stressed out. So if you're feeling that, everyone take a deep breath. It's okay. There's a lot of terms that you may want to look up. I'm not going to go in and define those right now because I don't think that's the best use of Lisa's time and our time together. In, in relation to NFTs, I understand that there's a couple of ways that you can create value with it. It can be for pure art and just the ownership of a non-fungible token, a one-of-one, one, a super rare kind of thing. You can tie utility to it. It could be a proof of uh, attendance. It could unlock uh, other things into a membership, a, a digital ticket, if you will, um, and you mentioned in our conversation, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm super fascinated by this because I hadn't thought about it until you said it, which is using the NFT and creating smart contracts to contribute to a charity. So it can be used as a fundraising thing so that every time the NFT exchanges hands as it increases in value, the creator gets some value, the seller gets in value, and the charity, if you so decide, gets value from it as well. So that's, that's a really neat idea. What other uses can NFT be used for? Is it unlimited and is only finite by our own imagination? Yeah, I guess we're, we're seeing um, uh, NFTs be used in different ways. And uh, so we're actually talking about MetaGood, which is a company that I invested in, which is doing NFTs for good. And if I take a step back, I, I think about what NFTs mean and, and really they're just content. And so similar to the early 2000s, you create a website and expect people to come. It's not the case. So if you're right. going to create an NFT, it's really what's the value in that content. And we're having a conversation about, about content itself. And I liken an NFT to actually just creating a stamp duty style proof of ownership onto a piece of content. So whether that be a photo, a piece of art, a video, there's all sorts of different types of content that you would want to mint as an NFT to prove ownership. And so uh, that's probably the one thing with NFTs is um, there's actually uh, Mark Zuckerberg just announced at South by Southwest just last week and he, he said that uh, Instagram is going to be able to, uh, they're going to be minting their content on Instagram as NFTs. And so we were having this conversation uh, uh, when we met a few months ago about how I don't think any content online won't be minted in the future. And the future of content is actually that everything will be an NFT. And so where this is going is um, ideally that people get rewarded for what they create. So I look at Metagood and um and to segue into that, it's actually around personal branding and what do you want to have in your digital wallet? And I think about concerts. So, for example, in the 90s or early 2000s, I would go to a concert and I would keep my ticket stub. I don't know if anyone else kept their ticket stub or you might have put it on your wall or it was something that you're actually proud that you went of. It was part of your personal branding that you went to that concert. 
And so um, the Super Bowl did a really great job of actually having the tickets to the Super Bowl was an NFT. And that is now in people's digital wallet. And so from a personal branding point of view, I think um, the kids that are playing Fortnite and buying all these skins are very conscious of their personal brand online and what they actually own and what people can see of their digital presence. And um, so as we go into this, uh, the conversation around Medigood, I do own some on-chain monkeys, which as part of the transaction, every time they're traded, then uh, um, 10% goes through OpenSea and half of that goes to the DAO for the community to vote on how that's spent and half goes to building out more the platform for Medigood. And so um, that's a really great way to be able to see and have the community add value and then there's another one that we did with UNICEF with the Giga Connect project, which is mapping out the um, schools and internet connectivity for UNICEF worldwide of how many schools are connected to the internet and at what speed. So they created these digital kingdom set of 1,000 collection, which was the digital representation of how many schools were connected in each region and area. And 20% of that NFT actually goes to helping these schools connect to the internet so I'm really proud to have that in my wallet as my own personal branding. And uh, I think from membership point of view as well, I want to be proud and have an NFT of the members, uh, memberships that I have. Being part of your community, Chris, would be awesome to, to have that NFT and be more involved with you. I'd be very proud of that as well as um, I think World of Women had a great example the other day they put out and that all World of Women uh uh, NFT holders, they're actually going to have a say. They're going to make a movie that Reese Witherspoon is involved in and everyone that's an NFT token holder is going to be voting on the content in that movie and the decisions of that movie. And so we're moving towards this decentralised way of decision-making, which is really cool. Wow. Okay, so I, I really am intrigued by the concept of everything is minted. Now, currently the process is a little bit complicated, at least for for me, because I'm I'm a pretty new newbie person when it comes to this. I just started my my MetaMask wallet, and I have two pieces of art in there, so I'm, I'm just barely scratching the surface here. But there are gas fees associated with minting, and so in order for everything to be minted, the 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 expense of verifying these things and putting it on the blockchain has to be so simple, so just pennies, if even that much. And and it has to have a lot of machines to do this. And are you seeing, what's the timeline in which you're seeing this is going to happen? And how does this happen given the way things are happening now? Yeah, I look at the price performance and it's actually Moore's law that um, the computational capacity, it doubles every two years and the price performance halves. And so what we're seeing with technology is that it is getting cheaper. A few years ago, it was a few thousand dollars to mint something. So it was just completely not available to anyone and it wasn't going to be anything that was going to um, go large scale. Now there's technically a, a lot of sub chains. And so someone actually likened it to me to the subway where you've actually got your, your country link, your fast train, and then you've got all these sort of subway sub chains that are actually making minting a lot more efficient. And so I think we're seeing that you can mint things for as little as 15 cents at the moment, and that's expected to get less and less. And even for Mark Zuckerberg to come out and say Instagram's going to be minting things when they're uploaded onto Instagram, I think that's indicating that it's going to be a lot cheaper. Uh, I know there's a lot of conversations around the environment and the impact of that and computational capacity and all the rest. And I think with any big problems like that, there's 
going to be technologies and there's going to be startups and there's going to be businesses that are actually launch to be able to do that in different ways. We're not too far off quantum computing, uh, but also I, I liken it um, our lifestyles today are actually way more any energy um, taking than they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago. 150 years ago, we only had 1 billion people in the population and we lived in our local communities and we didn't travel by air and we didn't do all of these things and we didn't have the internet. So absolutely there's going to be energy that's needed for this. So the most efficient way to do it is obviously going to be the best thing, but I don't think it's going to stop in a hurry because of the environment. I only make people more aware that they need to be able to create more businesses to make it more efficient. Mm. What are the real world implications of Mark Zuckerberg saying everything on Instagram will be minted in the near future? If Mark Zuckerberg mints it, uh, what does that mean for me as a creator who owns it? What's the benefit? What's the point of that? I think this is going to come down to the smart contract. And so I've been talking to businesses around what you actually need for an NFT or a metaverse strategy. And the first thing is the strategy. And this is almost like a digital marketing agency would go through a process and say, here's your plan, here's your strategy. So you need the strategy. You need the artists or to be able to create the content of what it is that you're going to mint. You need the technical side of things of someone to be able to or to understand how to upload it and how to mint it yourself. And then you need the legal side of things to be able to understand what that smart contract includes. So um, they're the first elements. And then you actually need almost like a content manager to be able to make sure it's getting the views. It's almost like a social media manager role that you would have in the past. So having a look at that, um, the smart contract is such an important thing. So, for example, if you create a song and you actually mint it and you can put it up there and let's say on OpenSea and you can license people to utilise that song and it'll, it'll be written into that smart contract or depending on what platform you use of what you actually get for that content. So it'd be really interesting to see what platforms actually do now and what they're offering, similar to how paid advertising was or, or actually YouTube ads and YouTube would pay you for so many views and whatnot. I think that each platform's going to have their own smart contract and it's going to mean something different, which content creators are going to have to decide and do the research of which platforms they actually want to double down on and what's going to be most beneficial for them. I like that you said that. Okay, so let, let me see if I can understand and process what you just said. The way that most social platforms work today is whether you know know this or not, when you upload content, they kind of own it, right? Uh, YouTube is one of the few that will actually pay you in a very passive way that if your content performs in relative to the demographic it attracts, they send you a check every single month. They send us a check and it's pretty cool. Currently, Instagram and Facebook do not do that for me. Uh, so is the general concept is if Facebook or Instagram wanted to do this, the more your content on Instagram gets shared or liked or commented on, that's some metric of engagement that they would then determine and allocate a certain amount of money to you if they wish to. And they could give you nothing or they can give you a lot or something in between. Is that the general idea? I think they have the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And that's going to come down to the terms and conditions that you right. sign when you sign up to the platform. <laughs> Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... 
What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to our conversation. One of the things I really uh, admire, and I'm not getting paid to say this, about Google and YouTube is the amount of resources they spend and share with creators, uh, giving uh, us access to advisors and consultants, uh, incentivizing us to make content, providing us physical space to create content. It's a pretty neat community considering it's a you know, ginormous corporation that doesn't have to do anything for any of the creators, but they choose to. And I, I really admire that about them. I hope that more companies of their size would follow suit, but I'm, I haven't seen it. So maybe this is the, the beginning. The tides are shifting to kind of keep it with the, the whole surfing analogy, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think um, the time is actually coming where, where people do have the ability to have a say. And this is where we're seeing the mega trend of all these centralised organisations. So things like centralised uh, Facebook, as you say, and Google and even banks have all been centralised. And with Web3 technologies, everything's getting decentralised. And so the ability to be able to make decisions and these platforms that are popping up that are decentralised I was hearing about a technology the other day just on on banking itself and imagine uh, going to an auction where you want to buy a property and instead of going through a centralised organisation like a bank, you actually create an NFT, you tokenize that. Let's say it's a $1 million property. You tokenize that into a million different tokens and you offer that out to your community and they buy a token for a dollar each, which has a smart contract. They might get paid X amount of interest or whatnot, but you've actually got a decentralized way to create finance and be able to buy property now. And so I don't know that people are too familiar of all these Web3 technologies that are being created now. And they always say that technology is about three steps ahead of business application. So where we're actually heading with these technologies is that people will have a lot more choice to be able to go decentralized and learn about organisations that they believe in and then um, subscribe to memberships of um, you know, the thought leaders that, that they actually um, can share their opinion with. And as we go into that, we're sort of touching on then DAOs as well and this uh, concept of decentralised autonomous organisations. And like I was saying with OnChain Monkey, with the monkeys, every time they're traded and I think in the first month there was about $8 million worth of trading volume that happened, which was $800,000, uh, which was 10%, and $400,000 went to the community DAO for them to vote on how it was spent and what charities it went to and uh, and whatnot. And we've been doing that with um, help for Afghanistan now, but it's the community is actually empowered now. And um, I heard from South by Southwest, there was a great quote that, the secret power of a DAO and Web3 is the ability for community to bond each other and value accrued at the edge of community that enables powerful change and movements that humanity hasn't seen yet. So um, technology is actually going to empower us 
to be able to make a lot more decisions and have a bigger impact in the world. Mm. You know, that reminds me of a very, very real world thing in that I think uh, the idea of uh, war in the in the 21st century is so different than just say a few decades ago that our countries uh, are so intertwined with trade, commerce, finance, uh, cultures, travel, that it's kind of very difficult to go to war with each other. And that's a good thing. And we can see that play out in real time right now. So in just grafting onto that comment about the more we feel connected to each other, the less likely we're going to steal from each other, to harm one another, or uh, uh, to to have aggressive actions because it's like we're only hurting ourselves, right? So the more we feel connected versus divided, I think the world's going to be a better place. I, I have so many questions for you about how a DAO would work. When it's decentralized and you set it up, like say for this example of uh, Unchained Monkey, um, there's $400,000 that the community gets to decide where it goes. How does one even govern that? Like, how does that even work just on a conceptual level? Yeah, um, typically a lot of communities are actually using Discord to be able to then vote. And like in, in the community for On Team Monkey, we're actually um, people get rewarded in bananas for helping others in the community. So that community help is is really encouraged. Uh, I liken it almost to like if, we, if we're going to do a business application and strategy around it, I'd liken it to almost like what a social club used to be in large corporate where everyone would contribute a small percentage of their pay to a social club and then you'd have a committee that would actually decide how are you going to spend those funds. And so I look at different communities now and how they can create a DAO and engage their community then, you know, it is almost like simplifying some of those concepts. So being able to go, well, how can we actually allocate a pool of funds to our community to be able to decide on what is done with it? And I think um, early days back when I started creating business intelligence dashboards, I gave people the option on their invoice to pay an extra 10% more and that if anyone was struggling and their business wasn't doing so well, they could then utilise this pool of funds and the community could vote to be able to then have them keep providing services when they can't afford it. And I think that's kind of the power of community capital is how in your organisation can you allocate a, a, a pool of funds but then also engage your community. I love the example of GitHub who were just sold to, I think it was Microsoft, billions of dollars and their valuation um, was in the billions, but they had no assets, hardly any staff and no IP. And it was actually the community and the power of the community that's so valuable now. And how do you actually engage your community is probably the secret to creating a DAO. Does, does some oversight have to happen from some central figure or the organization, the members of the community just figure out, well, we need seven members to decide or two or 17 or uh, how, how does that work? It's just like, it's almost like a, a government in itself. And like, uh, like, do, do we have to understand how to organize these things? Yeah, I think anything that's automated, you're actually setting a, a number of different rules. And so yeah. that's that smart contract of if this and that, and you know, this is how it's actually going to operate. And mm -hmm. people opt in to be able to um, be a part of that. So it does need someone to create the rules. Obviously, that's um, that's the purpose of the person, I guess, creating the DAO is um, being able to identify, hey, I want to be able to empower action around this specific area or for the community. And so, for example, with us, we're actually doing a number of uh, 
different initiatives with startups and we run boot camps and whatnot and we've actually been um, doing portfolio companies and we've got equity in companies and we are empowering our experts and our faculty with some of that equity. And so it doesn't matter, I guess, how you do it or what value it is. It's, you know, how do you actually contribute or a community is a place where you go to give. And so what is it the community bonds together on and how do you then double down on that? Mm. Um, the parallel that I'm, try- I'm trying to understand here is I used to serve on a nonprofit and there's rules of governance, bylaws, and the people who started the nonprofit are no longer steering the ship because in their own bylaws, they can only serve so many terms and then they were termed out. And so it will continue. And it's also not susceptible to any one person living or participating. It could live forever, theoretically, if the governance rules are set in place. And I, I guess the the board of directors can vote to change the laws and there's certain laws. Is that kind of how this, the DAO works? Like you, you need like good legal guidance and governance and then it kind of has its own life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Whew. I yeah. finally understood. And, and that's where some of these platforms can help. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's part of lifelong learning, isn't it? It's, um, it's understanding what some of these big mega trends are and, and what might impact you. And then how do you actually make the most of it? And I love these conversations and definitely conversations are the best way is just tuning into the right people with the right information to be able to empower yourself to make the most of it. Mm. And if I'm really excited about this, I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, Chris and Lisa, you guys have convinced me. There's a lot of good that can be done where we've been limited by our imagination and now we could do something good. Is there a course, uh, I don't think there could be a book because it's just happening so fast, but is there a course or resource that you can point us at either through something that you do or or third party where someone can get caught up to speed? Because there seems like there's a lot of information out there and trying to process all of this in, in some kind of holistic way has been difficult for a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. So we're creating a lot of courses around this topic at the moment. So we've got a number on our digital platform as well. So um, people can see what I'm doing at lisaandrews.global. We're putting a link on there to the different programs and courses that we've got coming up as well as following my Instagram. I'm interviewing a number of amazing people at the moment in this space. Um, So yeah, any of our courses and programs, absolutely. Please follow along uh, Chris, I'd love to have a conversation with you on our Future by Design webinar. That's a series that we're actually doing to be able to create this future that we want to live in. And uh, and then I'd also recommend that people follow Metagood and Bill Ty and Amanda Terry. So they are part of the Acti community that I've first learned about all of this and have been the creators of OnChain Monkey and Bill's been instrumental in creating NFTs, the first NFT for social good with the Honu Kitty for Crypto Kitties a number of years ago. So it's definitely up to date and someone to follow. I will follow up with Lisa afterwards to get all the resources and reference and links. So don't panic, everyone. We'll include that in the show notes. So just make sure you check out the show notes for relevant links, resources, and and um, where you can follow uh, Lisa on Instagram and kind of consume some of the content. I did watch most of that interview, that conversation you had with, uh, did you say her name was Amanda? Yes. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. that was That was relatively recent in your feed, right? Yes, that yes. was okay, December. Good. Okay. So there's two more big questions and then I have a selfish question. So I just want to save my selfish question for later. So here's another big question for you is 
I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around the metaverse and Web3. Are these two interchangeable terms? Is the metaverse space like uh, some second life reality where it's not real and it's kind of virtual, but there's value in it? Can you explain that to us in layman terms? I guess the metaverse for me is really that convergence of the digital and physical world. And so we've got so much in the digital space at the moment. It's just going to be delivered in different ways, whether you're in virtual reality or augmented reality. We've got the physical world. We've got our digital world. We kind of live in both already now, and it's just going to merge a little bit more. So it's the digital space for me, whether you call it the metaverse or or the digital and physical world converging, it's... um, it's how you choose to live in the digital space. Okay. Now, I know you uh, mentioned some pop culture references about Iron Man and Tony Stark. Is it in a way where it's not physical and it's not virtual or digital? Like, are we swiping things in our physical space? It's really not there, but we kind of are able to interact with it. Is it like your sensor that tells you, hey, this person you know, you met three years ago about this, this and that. Is it something like that? Yeah, I, I guess um, I'd love my own personal Jarvis and AI. And I don't know if you remember the scene in Iron Man where he can just pull up the yes. scene of anything on his screen and have a look and analyze it all. And and that really is a, a um, it's a parallel universe, really, because it's mm-hmm. this digital world that's interacting with the physical world. And so I actually think we're in the metaverse now, and we're actually, you know, talking over video and camera now and where our voices are being re- recorded and so people watching this are in some form of the metaverse where they're in this digital space so I think there's going to be a lot of different digital spaces where you can spend your time and it's almost like these parallel universes that is kind of unlimited parallel universes where you can emerge yourself in the digital space. Mm-hmm. Like years ago, I used to play a lot of video games, first person shooters, Call of Duty. Uh, I would play a Skyrim and Skyrim, I'm, I'm purely interacting with computer generated characters. But in, in Call of Duty, my friends and I, my real life friends, we would gather in the digital space and we would do battle with others and uh, we would sweat and, uh, you know, get blisters on our hands and all that kind of stuff. So there was some physical interaction. I, is it kind of like that? Yeah, you've had a life in the metaverse for most of your life by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so then. Okay, so I'm not scared about this at all. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's just a term, I guess. And, you know, it, it's how you, you actually apply it. And, you know, when you've got things like Web3 technologies, which is essentially like blockchain technologies that can give fast, transparent information, then it's just making it even more accessible to more people and the ability to do more in it. Okay, wonderful. I'm, I'm less and less scared every every second I talk to you. Okay, quantum computing. I hear this term being thrown around, and usually when I hear the word quantum computing, I hear this other word, China, and then all of a sudden I'm like, should I be scared again? What is quantum computing, and what is its promise, and what is the, the potential challenges that we face? Yeah, I, I guess you're sort of going back to Moore's Law now a little bit in that over the time since we've actually used computers to help us think, the first paradigm was actually the punch cards in the Industrial Revolution when you're actually utilising a computer to, to help us think. And then we went through um, in the 50s, Gordon Moore discovered that working at Intel that our computational capacity doubled every two years and the price halved. And we've been through these shifts in paradigms where computational capacity has doubled every two years almost and we're running out of room on chip space 
<laughs> with computer chips. And so quantum computers is almost this next paradigm, which is the technology that's going to empower computational capacity to be a lot faster than it currently is. So I guess the, the challenges with that is with machine learning and AI is the ability to do a lot more analysis. Your Apple Watch actually tells you now it's time to stand and, right. you know, you think about quantum computing and the ability that it's actually going to be re- able to read your entire biology and physiology and be able to help you be your best self. Mm-hmm. I think the more information and the more frameworks and systems where we actually give it a goal and an outcome, it'll be able to crunch the numbers a lot quicker to be able to do that. Mm. Okay. Is quantum computing describing an idea or an actual like processor or something? Uh, because it sounds like you're talking about the rate in which technology is speeding up has now, it, it's going to break the current paradigm and we're moving into another space where we're going to be able to analyze and crunch data in, in speeds and volumes that we cannot previously conceive of. And so that opens up all kinds of analysis and connectivity, right? So is it an actual new technology or is it the idea of being able to do so many things so quickly? Yeah, a quantum computer is actually a a beautiful, it looks like a chandelier. They're actually a a different way of doing computational capacity. So it will be a computer that we may all have. I don't think we would all have one in our own homes, um, but we would probably be driven by quantum computing that would be connected to our our phones and chips to be able to help things move a lot faster. Is this a thing that exists already? Like there are quantum computers in existence? Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So imagine now all the content that you create, it's going to be, everything's going to be real time, fast speeds. And I think that's when we talk about the metaverse and at the moment it might be a little bit clunky with internet speed and you can't actually have a full hologram of yourself into another digital space when computational capacity can allow things to happen a lot faster and a lot easier, then we're going to be able to do a lot more in that digital space just because of the computational capacity. Right. So it's kind of like in in my lame way of understanding it, is like 5G is like low latency, zero latency, uh, super fast connectivity. And the way that say um, Unreal Engine is able to now render and process things in real time, which would have blown people's minds just like five years ago. So the fidelity, uh, the, the lifelikeness of things and the speed in which it could be delivered to you is at its latency so low that it feels like it's actually all real and, and happening in real time, right? Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Um, you've given me a lot of clarity. I, I, I want to ask you a very selfish question, if, if I may. And feel free to say, Kristen, I'm not going to do that. So, and I won't be offended at all. You, you mentioned something that is tapping into an idea that I've been thinking about. And I think you just gave me a new idea on how to think about it. You said right now, okay, instead of going to a bank to buy a piece of real estate, you could activate a community and borrow money from them in a way that they would crowdfund the purchase of this. And depending on how the contract was written, they could own a percentage of it or whatever it is you want to give them in a small exchange for that. So my my, my little brain says, okay, everybody that uh, invests in this fund to buy this property, when the property is sold, the net gain of it, a certain percentage will be split relative to the number of shares you own. And some people might get really excited about that as long as they trust you and the contracts are solid. Is it first? Did I understand that right? You call it like tokenizing or having a token to purchase real estate? Correct. Okay. So the, my very selfish question for you is this: Is I run a, a very modest education company 
And I'm really interested in investing money in creating what I think is a lab for 21st century teaching and learning uh, for remote learning and scaling. In order for me to accelerate my plans, because I'm not, I'm patient, but I'm not, I don't want to be more patient than I need to be. Uh, Rather than take outside investment capital, which I've had some offers on, I would rather just do it through our community, which I think is quite strong and would be open to this kind of idea. So if I wanted to build a lab where I can experiment and give value to the community, can you, because your, your brain is so different and, and, and big around this, what are some ways that I might approach this? Because I feel like I'm just boxed into like, oh, this looks like this and I'm not thinking big enough. Yeah, uh, this is a great question. And I think I shared earlier around the, um, you know, businesses being limited by the psychology and the skill of the owner. And I love that you're asking these questions and that you've got this vision. So uh, totally, absolutely, it's doable. And why not have the community as a part of it? And I think that's the the idea of community capital and that DAO of, you know, what rules and, you know, what would you actually be offering around it? So it sounds so incredible and I know that there'd be so many people that would get value from it so uh, to to actually go about it would be you know what's your strategy what's the vision so similar vision mission goals same as doing any business plan being able to identify this is exactly what we want to do and then you're actually going out to the community and and making them an offer so you know for their contribution then they would actually be part of it they would get um and you know I'm not sure the type of rights of what you'd have of would it be time spent in this centre would it be actually um, uh, airtime would it be being a part of it would it be to be a member would it be to contribute content would it be you know what are those things that you actually want to add value to the members and say that hey this token by contributing or buying this token that you're going to get all of these benefits and then part of those benefits are that you can decide how it's run because what a better way to have the diverse thought of a community to be able to help create the future and um, that combined learning space. Do you have some, because uh, we we hear about some really wonderful, amazing creative uses of the blockchain and uh, to empower artists and creators and charities and for good companies and organizations. We've also heard disproportionately a number of like really bad, poorly executed projects that are really about I, I, as far as I can tell, and I don't want to say this on a legal level, but they, they appear to be scams. People talking about rug pulls and things like that, where it's a pump and dump operation. What are some things that someone should avoid knowing that these are either you should not set this up, or if you hear people talking in this way, be very wary and 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 be do your due diligence before you go and pledge any of your money. Yeah, definitely. I think before you invest in anything, you need to do your research and your due diligence. And um, unfortunately, we live in a hype society where people are happy to jump on the bandwagon because their friends have invested or someone that they know has invested. And, you know, that would be a bad investment decision, whether it's in NFTs or tokens or or, or this way, um, no matter what. So, I guess, you know, I'm a big believer how you do one thing is how you do anything. So, you know, the due diligence that you would do to go and buy shares in a company or go buy something on the stock exchange, if you're going to do it with an NFT, do that quantitative and qualitative analysis, understand who's behind it, understand what it actually does, spend at least uh, a couple of days, if not a week, researching everything you can about it before you actually put your money into anything. 
Yeah, there's a lot of hype and we, we've heard of stories and people touting on the internet how their lives have been transformed from a financial point of view, having invested in something and it working out for them and for everyone that celebrates. I, I feel like there's a handful of other people who have unfortunately been on the bad end of a quote unquote poor investment, right? Yeah. So it's quite sad to see that because people are profiting from other people's, um, I, I don't know, uh, their, their enthusiasm or, or their naivete. Yeah, I guess um, it comes down to the strength and the values of the community as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you would know joining any community or if you go and you hang out with a group of people, what their values are and if you belong there or not. So it's a little bit harder to do it when you're in the digital space and it's a digital investment, but you can still do it. You can still meet the people, you can meet the community, you can interact on their Discord or whatever it may be, but that's part of that research phase. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much for helping me out with understanding this. Um, I see that we're a little bit over an hour. I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking to you about any projects that you're working on that you're super excited about that you wanted to share with our audience. Oh gosh, I think um, for me, it's that constant learning and implementing. So being able to help people, we've got the education part of the business where we do a number of courses in this space. We've got the investing side of the business where I love investing in new technologies that are going to be completely world changing. So we do actually um, get them to apply through the Extreme Tech Challenge. Ordinarily, the applications have just closed for this year, but it's a a worldwide competition where you can apply and uh, share your startup with our community of amazing people who are uh, able to have that community capital and help people be one degree of separation from anything they need. So definitely from an investment point of view, I'd love to know about new technologies. And uh, and then we also have a professional services side of things so where we can be able to help implement some of this. So if we're going through and someone needs to do an NFT strategy or a metaverse strategy, being able to actually create that, we do it in a do it yourself, do it with me or do it for me kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. So definitely would love to help anyone in the community if they've got any questions to be able to join in to our community. And uh, I know, Chris, that we're going to be doing some work together and being able to explore this topic even further is really exciting. Wonderful. Now, you being an energized introvert, the introvert in me needs to know too, what do you do to recharge? Like when you're out and speaking and meeting with people, uh, what, what do you do to kind of recharge your batteries? Oh, I actually love um, my comfort zone, I think, is the challenge. So I'm a little bit of a homebody. So I have this balance between reading and learning and being at home in my own little happy bubble and doing adventure sports to get me out of my comfort zone. I think it was Tony Robbins that said, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So I kite surf, I snow kite, I have this um, innate ability to try not to say no to anything. If something scares me, then um, typically it's feel your fear and go forward anyway. So traveling for me is definitely a big one to be able to re-energize and be out in nature. And I I live on the water. Swimming, getting into the ocean definitely helps. Mm. So what is the next scary thing that you've committed yourself to where the outcome is kind of unclear for you? Anything you can share with us? Oh gosh, I actually haven't committed to anything yet. Um, I did toy with doing a triathlon, but I haven't committed yet, but I think it's going to be something like that, pushing the physical boundaries. Okay. So when you talked about like Ironman, you're talking about Tony Stark, but you're also talking about the Ironman that's run in Hawaii. Like, is that what you do too? (laughs) 
No, no, definitely no. not. It's um, it's the fact that I really like rocket boots. I did do the uh, electric surfboard, the electric hydrofoil the other day, which uh-huh. was kind of cool getting out on the water. And I'm loving the wing foil at the moment. I'm actually going to get out on my rollerblades with the wing foil. You can do it on the basketball courts mm-hmm. and be able to just do something a little bit different and out there. But I think practicing on my rollerblades will get me ready for rocket boots. So you, you're, you're, your combination of like super nerdy, smart tech venture capitalist, adventure, free spirited, kite surfing, uh, adventure sports kind of person and futurist. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just learned from, um, you know, from challenges and, you know, having two kidney transplants and, and whatnot is that life is too short. You actually do yep. need to get out there and make the most of it and, and have fun and just enjoy it. And I think that energy is what is contagious and, and people want to be around and do good things. And I love the idea of positive momentum. And when you're around other people, that one plus one is more than two. And I think that's what excites me about the momentum and helping shift the world for good. Wonderful. I, I love all, all of your energy. I really do. It, as an introvert, it's a little bit much for me, but I just love listening to you. I was very excited to have this conversation because after our trip to Cancun, I went back home and I was telling friends like, man, I, I think I got my my stuff together. And I talked to somebody like Lisa and I'm like, I, I don't know anything, guys. And the only thing I could say is wait till she comes on our show hear how she thinks and how she looks at the world. And we're going to get a glimpse into the future. It's not as scary as we all think. And, and there's a place for all of us. And there's something really exciting. You did tell me this idea, and then we, we touched upon in this episode, that the future is for content creators. Because when everything is minted, the, this idea of intellectual property theft is going to be very difficult because we're going to be able to trace things back to their source with all this wonderful technology actually working in concert to support people who actually spend time, energy, and creativity to make things, and you'll be rewarded for it somehow. And so with that, we we wait with bated breath to see when this happens. You had told me probably five years, and I said, five years? And your response even blew me away. It's like, no, it's probably going to happen unless it just said five years, not to scare you. But (laughs) there it is for all of you. So Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And, and just to simplify it for everyone, these technology applications are always three steps ahead of business applications. Mm. So it is just choosing the right time for yourself and your business to be able to make the most of it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. And I hope everybody, if you're curious about what's going on, you'll check the show notes because I think you're going to be uh, rewarded with a bunch of resources and additional information that we possibly, you know, we can't all possibly cover in, in one episode here. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My name's Lisa Andrews and you are listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. 
You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.